Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. All right. Yeah, that was uh, last week. If you weren't here last week, we had our baptism, which was uh, just an exciting time uh, for us. And you'll actually see a baptism that happened after church. Uh, in a little bit that I want to, uh, was really exciting that would happen. And it's good to have everyone here. It's amazing when the time changes and you have kids singing. A lot of people come to first service, which is great. You ought to, we ought to do that more often. Even though for me, I'm used to getting up about 5.30. Well, I really woke up at 4.30 this morning because my biological clock hasn't changed yet. So I may sleep here in a little bit or fall asleep on you. No, not at all. Because today, Uh, We're going to continue this little two-part series. As Pete's in this series called Crystal, you know, last week we talked about what it's like to make a disciple. Remember we did that little quiz at the beginning where we looked at um, the word Christian is actually only used three times in our New Testament, something that we a lot of times describe ourselves in the Western culture, while the word disciple is used 269 times. And then we looked at, you know, at the time Jesus spent with people, and, um, and you looked at it that Jesus spent a majority of his time in an accumulation of time with his 12 disciples, and even to a point where he spent time specifically with Peter, James, and John. And then we looked at this, um, what many of us describe as the Great Commission, that before Jesus left this earth, he made this statement that we are to go, therefore, and here's our statement, make disciples— of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. So you see in this great commission a commandment to go, a command to make disciples, a command to baptize, a command to teach, and then a command to obey, all knowing that the power of God would come upon, we find out later that's the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, to empower us to accomplish all of this. So as I shared last week, I'm reading this book by Dallas Willard called The Great Omission, where he makes a statement that he believes, especially in our Western culture churches, that we have omitted focusing on what is directed here in the Great Commission to make disciples. And then I just showed you this little definition of what a disciple of Jesus is. Someone who continuously grows in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Someone who applies that growing understanding of life in the kingdom of heaven to now every aspect of their life on earth. So that whole phrase we've been looking at, eternal living now. Someone who is a learner, a student, an apprentice, a practitioner, even if only a beginner. And then according to Matthew 28, 19, someone who makes disciples. So as I showed these steps last week and kind of talked about this framework here at Hillside for making disciples. And we looked especially in Acts 2 where you see, you know, Peter preaching that first sermon. And we see what, we, what I introduced to you last week of what disciple making at Hillside. And we're really asking a question, what step are you on? Because last week we talked about these two, two steps. And you see in the, in the early church how that happened very quickly After Peter preaches that first sermon, 3,000 people get saved, and they were baptized immediately. Well, um, today we want to kind of talk about these four, and especially this one here, because um, we'll show that this happens pretty quickly, especially in, in the book of Acts. 
So, you know, um, kind of was looking at that um, this week and talking a little bit about that. And again, the one thing you have to be very careful when I say these steps is that you pursue these in kind of a check your box format. Well, I've done that. I've done that. And we're in a very cultural society that we likes to check the box and do this. But we have to understand, we were talking in programming with the guys this week, and they said this really ought to be a better picture of that steps. That, um, and I, I really wanted to show a little guy on skis here. I'm just not a good drawler. Um, but really show a guy in skis that when you get this and understand God's salvation and his grace toward you and you receive the Holy Spirit, it should propel you down this mountain. And I use the skier imagery because um, I remember, um, I'm from the Northeast, but for some reason never got to ski much. Um, probably because my basketball coach would never allow us to when I was in high school. But when I moved to Texas, all of a sudden, everybody says, hey, you ought to go to Colorado and ski, man. It's awesome to go to Colorado and ski. Well, I was the youth pastor at the time. And so I said, well, let's take some youth to Colorado and ski. Well, you know, youth kids love to play little practical jokes on you. And so I had never really been, been skiing much, but they said, hey, Pastor Dave, let's, let's go immediately up to this area here. And they took me up on the blues diamonds right away and say, have fun. And I didn't realize there weren't any yellows to get down to the blues. And so I jump off and immediately I'm just flying down this mountain. And they're all saying, hey, do the pizza. The pizza. And I'm saying, pizza, I already had lunch. I'm not, I'm not sure what you're saying. And I, and I just remember that, that I was just flying down this mountain because I'm just like, hey, I'm on this. And I think, you know, when you look at Acts 2 and look at the early church, you know, and as we saw last week, this happens quickly. But let me tell you that these next three happen even quicker in the early church. And we've taught time and time on this before. But if you look at the next verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, you see community serving and partnership happening because the Holy Spirit is just indwelling these folks and, and great and mighty things are happening. Because you see here, they're, they're devoting themselves. You see this community again to fellowship. Here you see it. The breaking of bread, taking communion. So you have people, somebody had to prepare the, the uh, bread and the wine, you know, in that early church. There's people serving. You see prayer. Um, you see signs and wonders. I love last week's um, testimony by Michael Cohn that just said, hey, I'm the, I'm the greatest miracle that could ever happen, that God has saved my soul. And there was great awe and wonder happening through what was happening in, in the early church. And they, you see these words. They were together. They had things in common. They began to be generous and sell their properties. So no one, anyone had any need. And then you see again, they were meeting day by day. Here's their in one mind in the temple. So they're starting to develop a congregation here. And again, they're going house to house, taking meals together, gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God adding to their number day by day um, who were being saved because it was interesting that they found favor with all people. So you immediately get this image in Acts chapter 2 of people flying down this hill, getting into community, serving, and getting part of the church. And so I would challenge you in your, in your own walk of, um, you know, taking these steps that this can happen fairly quickly. And, you, and we'll see a real live example of that today. And we, we provide those mechanisms here at Hillside to do that. Probably the first place, if you haven't been, is to go to Go Discover here. 
Because in that Go Discover, we show you how you can get involved in community serving. I feel like that's the church. We're supposed to provide you those aspects. How do you become a partner here at Hillside? That Go Discover is the first place to go. So, and I have to share my own life. You know, I told you last week, I gave my life to Christ when I was eight years old. And I told you the process I had to do to be obedient to be baptized. But immediately, you know, at my church, I got involved in community and serving, joined the church and so forth. But it didn't get till I came to step six that I really felt like that happened to me when I went off to college. And um, it was because I got to a point where, again, when we talk about making disciples, that happened in my life. And I think when you think about this step of leading, you it can be a, a, a word that gets you a little um, afraid uh, of that word because you say, well, I could never be a leader or I don't have the gift of leadership. But I want you to think of this in a context of maturing in your relationship with God and, again, being able to he- help others to take their steps to be a disciple of Jesus. So we come to a step six of leading. We have to remember that this is is probably a longer process, but maybe the most important one. It's having someone take you aside and teach you to observe all the things that Jesus said and did. And I love how you see this level in the early church. Um, And I'm not going to read all of this, but in Acts chapter six, you begin to see that happening in the church because it came to a point where the disciples were increasing and you overlooked, and, and um, they were co- a complaint arose because there, there were some widows not being taken care of. Um, and the 12, here you go, the t- apostles come to them and say, hey, you got to understand this, that there's 12 guys in the early church that happens that 3,000 people give their lives to Christ and they have no Bible. They have no, um, no one's ever taught them, what do you do in a church, in a platform like this, and how do you begin to disciple 3,000 people or more? And so the disciples said, hey, it, we need, as you go on here, it's, it's good for us to, to be working on the ministry of the word, of what Jesus said and did, and you can see this focus on prayer. So they begin to say, hey, let's select from you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of the task. But here's what I want you to see, is that you see these names of these seven men, Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, uh, Timon, um, Parmenas, and Nicholas, and you see that these men are brought before the apostles and after praying and they laid their hands on them and you can see what happens immediately. The word of the Lord kept spreading and the number of disciples continue to increase greatly. Here's my point with these seven guys is that when you look at these seven guys, two of them we know a lot about. One, if you keep reading in, in Acts 6 and 7, is Stephen. And you read what Stephen says in Acts 7, you can see he tells and sh- talks to the Pharisees about the whole prophecies of the Old Testament and how Jesus came to fulfill them. And he becomes the first martyr of the early church. Then you look in Acts 9, and we talked about this guy last week, Philip, that he's the guy, the Ethiopian eunuch, jumps in his chariot. Philip jumps in the Ethiopian eunuch's chariot and shares the gospel with him, shows him how Jesus was fulfilling prophecy, and the Ethiopian eunuch gives his life to Christ. 
So my point in these seven people is that, and don't take this wrong, they fed the widows and organized the church to feed the widows, but these guys, you have to believe, spent a lot of time alongside those 12 disciples to know what Jesus has told them to do. And so even though you don't hear much in the scripture about the other five guys, you know that, G- that the apostles and those 12 disciples were spending time with them, passing along everything that Jesus said and, do, said and did. So my point here is that when you get to this step of six and you talk about leading, it's important when you think about those people taking those five steps and showing faithfulness in those five steps and now getting to a point where you can take a role of leading. And I want to share a little bit um, how that happens and what we've set up and the framework that we've set up here at Hillside to take that step of leading after you've shown that faithfulness and, and that hunger for the first five steps. And that step six starts and may by being in a discipleship relationship. And so we've kind of coined that as being in what we call here a D-group relationship. And I just put a little definition around that. It's a group of two to five people committing to what I'm going to show you, having the balanced discipleship triangle in your life, and having that triangle in what we're going to see as a Paul Barnabas relationship and a Paul Timothy relationship. So let me explain this. We got this from a book by called The Ways of the Alongsider. And I love how they talk about when you think of yourself, are you in a discipleship relationship? There's three things that should be a part of that. One is it should be driven by your heart, by your relationship with God, that Holy Spirit filling your heart, and it should be driving you to have a deeper relationship with him and with others. Then it should be around and have some discovery and discussion around the Bible. I mean, there's got to be some part where you being challenged in God's word and focusing and finding out what Jesus said and did. And then it comes down to the third part of you're studying something together from God's word, but you have some application, accountability, and affirmation around it. So there's something about that when that, those balances, it, it then flows up again. And that relationship that you guys have, that people have in discovering and discussion around the Bible and that application that I'm putting that in practice, it's impacting my relationship with God even more. And now it's infecting even more my relationship with other people. So you can get this in different kinds of relationships we have here. You can get this in a life group, in a men's group, in a women's group that we have here. The question is, is what level of vulnerability or transparency do you have and do you get from that group? I just know for me, especially for me, and I think especially for a lot of men, is that I'm not going to a level of transparency and accountability um, with other men's wives in the group. So what we've seen since we've introduced this kind of beginning of January, beginning of this year, is how impactful that is in your life and being able to go to a level of accountability with just a smaller group. So for me, I've had trouble with this where, not trouble with this, but I've had groups I've been in years, for years that have been very focused on discovering and studying deep theological um, issues in, in the scriptures, but we never got to a point to say, well, how did that affect you this week? 
Like I'm in a D group right now where we memorize Psalm 19:14 this week. And so, you know, we're looking at, okay, um, everything that comes out of my mouth and the med- meditation of my heart um, should be a pleasing to you, O Lord, my God, O God, and my God and Redeemer. And so, you know, we had our D group this morning. We're talking about, okay, did you put that into practice this week? Was everything that proceeded from your mouth and the meditation of your heart be acceptable to God this week? So there's a matter of I, I can learn a lot of things, but am I putting it and being challenged to put it into practice? I've been in groups that are very focused over here where we get together and talk about our jobs and our wives and how we're treating our wives and so forth, but there's nothing challenging us from a biblical standpoint. But there's something powerful when all three of these are happening and it's flowing and it's impacting your relationship with God and your relationship with others. So my challenge is, if you are striving to be a disciple, do you have these elements in your life? And I would challenge you to have those in two kinds of relationships. And you see this with the Apostle Paul. Paul had what I would call a Paul-Barnabas relationship, and he also had a Paul-Timothy relationship. Now, Paul, this relationship with Barnabas, you see Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, right? And you see actually Barnabas called the son of encouragement. And then you see in Acts chapter 9 that Barnabas is the guy that when Paul converts and goes back to Jerusalem, he's the guy that says, I'll take you, Paul, and take you to the apostles. Because the apostles were scared to death of Paul because he had been killing Christians. So I believe in all our lives we need to have a relationship where I have this triangle working, but it is in a Paul-Barnabas relationship. So for me, one of the D groups I have here is made up of four other guys in this church that we're not studying any curriculum I'm going to show you in a little bit. We're just getting together and we're texting each other all the time to say, hey, what have you been reading lately? What have you been, uh, I've been studying Psalms and it's been blowing, blowing my mind. I've been reading the book of Acts and it's blowing my mind. And we're praying and talking to each other almost on a daily basis of how we can pray. One guy's going through some stuff right now that we're really praying for him. So I need that Paul and Barnabas relationship to have that, but then there's a level of accountability we're at and we're talking about, hey, how's it really affecting your life? So I would challenge you that you need a Paul and Barnabas relationship, and that relationship needs to have those three components in it. Then I would, like, I would challenge you that you see this relationship that Paul has with Timothy, and you see this scripture. I always love this scripture. Where is it? Here. That Paul tells Timothy, and you read First and Second Timothy and tells this verse, and it says, These things which you have heard from me, this is Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. All right, Paul, Paul says to Timothy, I'm spending this time with you and building you up and discipling you so you can take that to someone else. And my wife made sure I said this. This is, I don't want to, this could be a Paulina and a Bernice, you know, and this could be Tiffany. You know what I mean? I mean, this is that relationship that you have, that you have someone in your life that's really challenging you to be a disciple that makes a disciple. So, you know, I just wanted to share a little bit with you some things that we've been doing related to that 
kind of relationship that Paul-Timothy. It's Like I said, it's not about the curriculum, but we have put some things together to be able to facilitate that, to give you some resources. Like, we have some resources that this, uh, some is just a foundational study to say, do you know the attributes of God? Do you, can you have the assurance of your salvation? Can you take, do you know how to study your Bible? Do you know how to pray? Do you know how to med- meditate on Scripture? So it's just some basic foundation. Jill has these, as she found, they're just a little more frou-frou for ladies, but they're the same thing. But somehow, have you ever had anybody walk alongside you to teach you some of the basic foundation and disciplines of your faith? Then we've developed this thing called an extended time of prayer. Could you take a day off without this and spend three to eight hours just time with God in prayer? It's a lost a lost um, skill set in our life just to be able to have some time with prayer, solitude, and fasting to get away and just listen to God's voice. It's an important disciple-making process in your life. The other one is how to have an inductive Bible study. And there's nothing wrong with Bible studies, but could you literally take this book and be able to say, I want to learn everything the Bible has to say about marriage or sonship and know how to biblically find everything the Bible says about certain subjects. Or take the book of James and really, my, for myself, be able, to, be able to observe and interpret and apply the book of James to my life. We call it, can you feed yourself biblically? So if you don't have the latest study or you get stuck on a deserted island and all you have is your Bible, you could do this. And that's an important thing. The other one is kind of interesting. We're actually offering this next Sunday night. And it's called a Generosity Life Workshop. And it's basically around, Jesus talks about one subject more than any other subject in the New Testament. Can you tell me what it is? Money. Not because he needs your money or the church needs your money. It's because the window of how you handle your money is a good window to your heart. Because the way you handle your money is a constant question about, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And so we've developed this where we teach you some biblical principles around it, but we also give you some tools and resources that help you be able to be generous. Maybe getting rid of some debt, or do I live even on a budget that I could put the top line that I want to give God $50 this month? And you make a step to say, I'm going to give that first and trust him for the rest. So we've developed that so you can take that workshop and have that in your life. But it's even power, more powerful if you've got three guys or four guys that are saying, hey, what are you doing with your money? Because that's not an easy subject to talk about with anybody else. But if you've built that relationship, you can get to that level. So here's my challenge to you. And the last one I, didn't, I, I forgot to go over, and that's really getting to this point of the book where you can take called The Ways of the Longsider, and can you walk along some, somebody else now and take them through that? So my challenge to you this morning, and I think one of the better ways to show you this is to have someone come up and actually show you this process in their life. And I think, um, you know, you understand that as you look at this process, as you look at this process and you look at the steps, again, a lot of these happen fairly quickly. And again, it's, it's, it, I don't want to make this mechanical or driven. It's got to be driven by the Holy Spirit. But I challenge you in this whole process, especially when you get to the leading part, do you have a Barnabas in your life? that you have that 
triangle of discipleship in your life? And then are you at a point where you could be a Paul to someone? Or do you at a point you're a Timothy and need a Paul? But I want to introduce you to somebody that um, last week after we had the baptism, you may have seen him. He was up here actually taking video and taking pictures. Um, but God really laid on his heart to take that step of baptism last week. And we've got it on video. So guys, roll that video and um, Jonathan's going to come up. Y'all saw this guy up here today. I love this guy. This is Jonathan. And so today, you know, I had him working. And he felt like there was a level of obedience that had to come with today. And he didn't get to do it. And so we, we were talking afterwards with Chris. And so he said, I, I think I need to respond to God today and, and be uh, rededicated in baptism. So I said, dude, the pool's here. We got witnesses still here, so let's do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, wasn't that cool? I didn't know if Cody was going to go down too, but we were glad that he he came out of there. But yeah, I was I was kind of hoping. Am I on? Is it working? You may need the mic again. Perfect. <laughs> I was, uh, was kind of upset that I, myself, I should have let Cody know beforehand so he could have done squats, squats to lift me up. And so <laughs> yeah. He was struggling a little bit. but. So tell me, Jonathan, uh, tell me a little bit what made you, you're taking pictures up here, and what made you take that step of baptism like last week and, and said, I got to do this? And what was your thought process through that? Yeah, I mean, that was something that was totally not on my agenda for the day. Um, I, it was after service, and I was sitting over here um, talking with Chris, the guy who was leading worship this morning, and couldn't even tell you how we got on the topic of baptism. And we were just talking about life, and next thing I know, I was like, yeah, you know, I've just been, been wanting to get rebaptized. You know, I got saved when I was four, and, um, you know, it's, it meaning more now and in me understanding what a relationship with Christ is. And, you know, he was like, yeah, you should definitely do it. And I was like, you know, everyone's leaving. They got their stuff packed, and you know, they're talking about food, and now I'm hungry, and, and you know, this thing I know, he's like, oh, you should tell Cody. I was like, nah, he's talking to someone. It's fine, and as I say that, Cody says, all right, cool. See you later, and then walks over to us, and he's like, all right, see you guys, and I was like, all right, man, see ya, and then Chris is like, oh, I thought you need to tell Cody something. Oh, like, I need oh, great really? to have that accountability. Yeah. Huh? It's like, oh, thanks, friend. Appreciate that, and so uh, he goes, what's up, and so tell him, like, yeah, man, I've just been thinking about, you know, getting rebaptized, and rededicating my life and making that obedient step. And he goes, well, let's do it. And then he went over and talked to Pastor Pete and Pastor Pete was like, let's do it. And so I went in the back and they happened to have clothes my size. And it was just like, okay, maybe this is a God thing, you yeah. know? And, um, and so go and all of a sudden Satan started, you know, attacking me going, you know, oh, well, your, your family, friends aren't here. And God was like, oh, that's why you have an iPhone for FaceTime. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Technology. Great. Yeah. Um, and so, I, you know, FaceTime, that's my best friend's kid, Lucas, was on there screaming, John, John. He was excited. He didn't really know what was happening, but he was excited that John, John came out of the water. So he didn't yeah. know what was happening, but um, it was just a, a, a step of obedience to do that. That's cool. And it's funny because I, um, I met Jonathan for the first time I, when I was the youth pastor here. Um, I would go into Fossil Ridge a lot and take lunch and just hang out with some of the students. And that's when I first uh, met Jonathan. You were going to another church at the time, but Jonathan played football there at Fossil Ridge, so I got to know 
know him and know around him. Um, but you were sharing a little bit of your story and your spiritual journey. There were some things that happened in high school that was really deep for you. Can you share yeah. a little bit of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm the baby of three. I have an older brother, older sister, and myself. Um, so I'm the chosen one, obviously. And um, <laughs> third time's a charm. And so uh, my sophomore year of high school, my brother was a chef in Tennessee. Uh, my sophomore year of high school, he passed away on Christmas Day. Um, my junior year, I didn't really know my dad that well. I'd met him about four times. Um, and he had gotten real sick, was in the hospital and called my mom and we talked on the phone and I told him I loved him and forgave him. And I called him dad for the first time as a junior in high school. And then I said that and he passed away, Mm. um, right after that. And, uh, it took me a long time to kind of understand, you know, he had accepted Christ earlier that day. And so when he was obedient to God, God was obedient to his word, and he was able to hear his baby boy tell him he loved him and called him dad. Mm-hmm. Um, then my senior year of high school, you know, I'm just focusing on, you know, graduating and going to the greatest school in the world, University of Oklahoma, oh, Bedlam. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just had to toss that. And so um, next thing I know, my mom passes away in my arms my senior year of high school mm. at 2.30 in the morning. Yesterday was actually... Uh, the anniversary of her passing yesterday. Mm. And so it became all of a sudden in that moment where I was just thinking, where are you? Like, why am I believing you? Why am I putting my trust and my love and faith in you when you've taken my entire family away from me? Mm. And uh, he spoke to me in that moment and he goes, I understand that you're upset, but you're all, I'm all the life you need. Mm. And so it kind of translated back to that moment right there um, when I my flesh was telling me, no, you, t- you should wait, you should wait. Um, but God was saying, it's very funny how whenever, you know, Christians and people, you know, believe in God, we want him to bless us immediately. I need it now. But when he asks us to be obedient, we have selective hearing all of a sudden. Mm, yeah. And so at that moment, I was like, all right, cool. Thanks for that conviction before the water. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. So um, life is, I mean, since high school, since sophomore year, it's just been a roller coaster, you know, I feel like you on the slopes are kind of going down and I'm going up in the air and I just haven't, you know, landed yet. And so, uh, but God's been there through it all and he still sits on the throne and that's what I, I, I stand on. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Tell me, tell us a little bit again about, again, you took this step last week, but these other three steps, at least at Hillside, you've been here how long and how have you gotten involved in that part? Has that been a quick process or what? Yeah, you know, it's amazing. I've been at Hillside for two months now. um, And I was one of my best friends, Jeff and Tiffany Simpson. They, Tiffany grew up here at Hillside. And we were all, before they came back, were at a church in Hazlitt, a church plant out there. And um, God was calling them to come, you know, back here um, to raise their two kids. And so they left and, you know, we'd stay in contact and things like that. And it was, I would been craving a young adult community um, someone that people that I can just go through life with and do life with. And, uh, he kept telling me like, yeah, you know, we had a pretty good one here. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, whatever. I'll try a different church, you know? And, uh, and where I was at, I mean, the senior pastor is my student pastor. So I've known him since I was 14 years old. And, and so, you know, that was, that's family there and it was a comfort there. And, um, I think, you know, I just got kind of in my spot and that was it. And, uh, out of nowhere, he said, oh, Lucas is his son. Lucas is, is singing. The, the kids, you can't say no to Lucas. You got to come watch him. And I said, no. And then he put him on the phone and said, Uncle John, John, 
Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> you couldn't yeah, bud. Yeah. So he's like, you come hear me sing. I said, of course, yeah. yeah. So there I was, and, and I've been here ever since, every Sunday yeah. since. And so. you said you got here and just felt that connection right away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as soon as I walked in, it was kind of that feeling whenever you kind of walk into grandma's house for the holidays, you have that, I can just sit on the couch, eat with my stretch pants and be good, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, that's how I felt. As soon as I walked in, I was like, this is home. You know, yeah. this is this, the feeling, the people, the, um, the authenticity of, of the church and just everyone. Um, it, it just felt like this is, this is where and my then roots need to be. And you got kind of the community. There's an, a young adult group here. You go yeah. there. There's a guy that was at Fossil Ridge. Yeah, and- we'd known each other since middle school. And I didn't even know he went here. And I walked in and I was like, Ryan, what are you doing here? He's like, yeah. oh, hey, man, I go here. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. So that was a big thing because I, I love community. I love people. And, and so having someone there that I could kind of relate to in a new place was a total answer prayer for yeah. from God. And then your skill set. I mean, Cody got you involved. You, you know, Ryan, or, um, Johnson's up here taking the pictures last week, and he does all the social media for the central football team. So he has a skill set there to do that kind of thing. Cody just got you involved yeah. right away, and yeah, around. It, it was it was a total God thing. I I kind of didn't even tell him that I'd done media or that I do media for a living. I was just kind of like, oh yeah, I'll help out here there, and it's kind of just it's been a great thing for me to be able to serve because that's what we're called to do—not just to take a seat, but to serve in the house, um, but also to be able to be fed yeah. from people in the church and from Pastor Pete, and even just from from parking lot, just seeing that how they can serve in the little things and make sure that everything yeah. goes well. So. And now you're getting ready to join the church and be a partner here. Yeah, Hillsider for life. Yeah, for life, yeah. Absolutely. But tell me a little bit about, as we get to step six and what you're, where you're at in your life right now, Jonathan. Where, what, when I explained that Paul-Timothy relationship. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I felt like my whole life I've kind of been in the church or been, you know, working or doing something on, on, um, church grounds. And so I've always kind of wanted to be that Paul, but I've never gone through the Timothy role first. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, in this day and age, we, we know it all. We, it's at, you know, our fingertips, we can know everything, but, um, God wants us to be a Timothy first because we have to be able to be fed in order to feed other people. And so, um, if you go out of order, you're going to run empty and you, God can't, he can still use you, but it won't be as effective as you would be if you were being able to be fed. So I'm kind of in that Timothy phase right now. And I think that's why, um, D groups is, is going to be great for me because it'll help me to be able to be around other guys as well. I can kind of just like, here's my junk. I don't have to hold it anymore. The summer was really bad for me in the spring. I went through a really bad time of depression. And so, that would have been really great for me in that season. I think it's, and I think it's another reason why God brought me to Hillside um, to be able to just unload junk so that I can be fed and then grow into that Paul role. Yeah. So my challenge to you, Hillside, is kind of thinking through, there are Jonathans in our church that need a Paul in their life. I mean, you've heard his story and how he's just flying down the hill taking steps, but there comes a point where you get to a point where you need to have somebody to walk alongside you to teach you what Jesus said and did. And there's people in our church here that could be a Paul for a guy like Jonathan. And there's some of you that are, you can relate to what Jonathan and probably can't relate to what he's gone through. But there are parts where you are a Timothy and are craving to have a Paul in your life.
So my challenge to you in this whole process is to think about, you know, one thing is, do I have the relationship that has that Paul-Barnabas relationship? But could I at a point in my life now be a Paul for someone? And am I in need of a, a, a Paul in my life? And, and I'm at a Timothy state. Because what's powerful is that when you think about the role of the church and the role that we're giving to make disciples, how powerful that can be. I always describe it as kind of what it could be related to, um, I call it the power of addition versus the power of multiplication. So think about this in the next 15 years. If we get 100 people saved and baptized, we'd have 1,500 believers. But think about if we truly do the power of multiplication and make disciples here. If we have one D group that has two guys in it and they actually disciple and show and teach and learn everything that Jesus said and did and then they went accountable to go out and do it and then that, those three guys or gals take somebody else. You see in 15 years here, you have 49,152 disciples. It's that power that I'm going to take three people on and then I'm going to take three people on, and then I'm going to take three people on, and the power and the impact we could have as a, a church of truly making disciples. And again, I don't want to get in a results and a, and a step type thing. It's a Holy Spirit driven thing, but we as a church need to have an intentional process to say we want to make disciples, and we have a, a way for you to do that if you really want it. And that's my challenge to you. Then I saw this quote. I was at a conference this week with a guy named Francis Chan, if you've ever heard of him. And he uses this quote a lot. And it's actually by the great shoe salesman converted to become the evangelist of the 1800s by D.L. Moody. And he says this, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Think about that. And when you think about what you're doing with your life, and what impact you're having. We are called to make disciples. And when you get to heaven and you think about God asking you, who's the 12 guys or the five guys behind you? And you look back and say, oh, I didn't even know they were behind me. And they're saying, hey, this guy helped me be a disciple that makes disciples. And those 12 guys have 12 guys behind them. And those guys have 12 guys. And you can see the multiplication of truly if we decide that we're going to be a disciple that makes disciples. Because again, you want to succeed in life and you want to have purpose in life. It's all about doing something that really matters. So I just challenge you today. There's um, ways that you can, um, in your bulletin, there's, there's places where you can tear off and you can see the steps we put on there. Maybe there's a part that you need to go and, and go to Go Discover next su Sunday and get, those, um, get down that ski slope and start rolling and taking the steps of, of community or serving. Or you're at a point where you could be a Paul for a young man like this. And you're ready to take that leadership role. Or you're a young man like Jonathan that says, I need a Paul in my life. Because I've been faithful with those other steps, but I need someone to take me through that. My challenge is you, that you do that. Let me pray, and then we'll continue. Father God, I do thank you um, that you've called us to be disciples that make disciples. Um, Lord, we just know it's a Holy Spirit-infused thing, so we ask for that, Lord.
that you would fill us with your spirit to be able to accomplish what you've called and given us as the great commission. But I know there's people in our congregation that are at a point where they could be a, a disciple and a father figure and a Paul for someone like Jonathan. And I know there's people in our, in our church that are, are, are young and, and hungry for you, and they just they, they, they yearn for, to have a Paul in their life. So I just pray for that. I pray that we would be a church, that we would be intentional and be able to provide the mechanisms and the processes to make disciples here. I just pray you would move in our hearts, that you would lead, your spirit would lead us, and you would be glorified through it. In Christ's name, amen. All right, would you give Jonathan a hand? I kind of threw him on the spot, brother. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.